Genesis chapter 5 is what we're looking at today, which of course is a genealogy. Did you know back in the Middle Ages, some people did strange things sometimes. For example, it was, it was normal for famous people to keep a human skull on their desk. You know why they did that? A memento mori, yes, is in Latin. Uh, that's what it is. It was, it was to remind them that they too must die one day. That Latin phrase, memento mori, meant a reminder of death. A reminder of death. It was a reminder of the shortness of life. It was a reminder that death is a certainty. Some say it's equal with taxes, but I would argue that death is more certain than even your taxes. Uh, we, we see from Scripture, everybody must eventually yield to death unless you're raptured first. But we will all face God one day. And in Genesis 5, we have a memento mori. We have one of these reminders of death. This is one of the purposes of this chapter. Uh, in, in fact, you'll see a statement, a recurring statement as we read through Genesis 5. It says, and he died. In fact, it says that eight times. Eight times Genesis 5 says, and he died. And he died. And he died. You get the point. But, and since we all, too, must die one day, studying this genealogy can be a helpful reminder of death for us. So let's read Genesis 5 together. May I remind you, according to 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture is profitable. So hopefully we can see the profitability of this beautiful chapter today. We see in verse 1, it says, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man, Adam, in Hebrew, Adam, man, when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenon. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenon 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. Hopefully you, you see the pattern moving on here, all eight times. All right, verse 15. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. 
Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enosh. Jared lived after he fathered Enosh 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 600 and, or sorry, 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That ends chapter 5. That is God's written word, His revelation for us. So you say, well, what's the point? Well, I propose to you today, this is at least one of the points you ought to get from Genesis 5, is that God wants His people, God wants His people to anticipate victory over the curse. And of course, I'm talking about the curse of sin, which we saw in Genesis 3. But here's some specific things we can, we can gain from this chapter, which is inspired of God. God breathed and is certainly profitable for us. Number one, mankind's purpose is to represent God and enjoy His blessing. Therefore, same for you. You're mankind, part of it. God's purpose for you is to represent Him and to enjoy His blessings that He gives to you. Uh, some of those are mentioned there in the first four verses. And it's interesting, it's repeating the themes we saw in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis here uh, from that creation account. And, the, and so the, the writer, who is Moses, of course, uh, shows God's intention here for the human race. By the way, may I remind you there's only one race, one human race. We all come from Adam. But the, the narrative is beginning here with the creation and the blessing of Adam, he is made in whose image? He's made in God's image. And this is kind of a review. It's not a recreation. It's a review of what's already happened. But it's reminding the descendants of Adam that the fall had not totally destroyed the image of God in us. You're still made in God's image. Now, the image is corrupted, of course. And, and of course, uh, because we are image bearers of God... Everybody from Adam to has some great privileges. We have great potential. For example, as, a, as an image bearer, you have the capacity to hear God's word. 
Praise God, you can hear His Word. Uh, another thing is, is, is an image bearer, you are charged to rule the earth in God's stead. He has given you dominion over His creation. Uh, another thing is the image of God in us suggests this possibility that we can have an intimate spiritual relationship as God's children. You can have an intimate spiritual relationship and fellowship with the God of creation. And so the idea here is also we, we need to remember that, that whatever image was passed on to Adam's sons, uh, such as Seth, we see that Seth was in the image of his father. So Adam beget Seth. And there's this spiritual capacity that was imparted to Adam and Eve. And that endowed them with this ability and the responsibility to represent God on earth. That was passed on by natural reproduction to their children and to their grandchildren and so on. But we need to remind ourselves here that even in the midst of a sin-cursed world, human beings are in the image of God. And some of Adam's children, and, and maybe even Adam and Eve themselves, may have been highly depressed and in great despair, having been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But we can still serve God. We are still image bearers. And we can enjoy His blessing. We can still have dominion over the earth. We can serve God even in sin-cursed bodies. A second lesson we can learn here is that mankind's life is under the curse of death. We are under the curse of death. From verse 5 to verse 20, we, we see the, um, there's this mood shift. Actually, there's a mood shift going from verse 4 into verse 5. A sudden shift is alerting us here to any reader who's paying attention that something terribly is wrong. Because we see that the first man, Adam, died. He died. In fact, reading Genesis 5 is, is a bit like walking through the cemetery, isn't it? You, you, you walk through the cemetery of Genesis 5 and you see, and he died, and he died, and he died. In fact, eight times it says, and he died. So it's a sobering repetition for us. And it's teaching us several things as you read those words. God doesn't waste his words. In his repetition, he wants you to understand some truths. What does he want you to understand? Well, at least these. Okay, i got four points for you. Number one, all must die. <laughs> all must die. Unless you're raptured like Enoch. Almost die. Because you know what the book of Hebrews says? You got it on the screen. It says, Man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. You are destined to die. So the, the time is quickly coming when, when you and I must meet God. Everyone's going to meet God. But you know what the devil likes to do? The Bible, just, Jesus describes uh, the devil as a, as a liar from the beginning. So what is he doing? He's saying, oh, you, you guys, you ladies, you know, don't, don't worry about those kind of things. I mean, life is long. Just go eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy yourself while you're still young. 
You've got a long time to live. But I'll remind you, the devil is a liar. And life is not long. The Bible describes your life like a vapor. It's short. And the time is approaching when you and I must stand before the God who is the judge of the universe. And so, I ask you, what's going to happen to you if you're not prepared to die? What's going to happen to you if you're not prepared to die? You need to be. You need to be prepared. So what's going to become of you? The Bible tells us. So be prepared. Number two, second thing you can learn about uh, mankind's life under the curse of death is that sin is the cause of death. We need to be reminded of this. Death is not natural. <laughs> death is not natural. That, that is a worldly way of thinking. It is not natural. It is actually an intrusion into God's universe. It may I remind you, how did it get here? It was brought about by our rebellion against the Creator. You were intended to live forever. And so in God's judgment, there is justice. Adam sins and God brings justice. And so there isn't this unbreakable principle that is built into God's moral universe we see it in places like uh, the book of Ezekiel. Please don't turn there, but the, Ezekiel says, the soul who sins shall die. Romans says the wages of sin is death. That is the unbreakable principle. And so therefore, the justice of God demands death. God will not deny His own character here, and so... Uh, there is more than this to learn, though. Fortunately, we, we also see, number three, that God is truth. So as you read Genesis 5 and all those genealogies, remember God is truth. Because we've already seen back in chapter 2, verse 17, God had told Adam, if you sin, what's going to happen to you? You will surely die. And so there's one lesson amongst many, we can learn here that when God makes statements, those are not idle threats. God doesn't make idle threats. And so the moment Adam sinned, death in its many forms invaded humanity. You say, in what ways did, did, did it invade humanity? Because Adam didn't die right away. Well, three things you need to remember. So, three forms of death. I'll put them on the screen here for you. There is spiritual death. This happened immediately to Adam, and you can see it because he's running and hiding from God, and he's trying to cover his nakedness. That, that shows his spiritual death. He's immediately detached from God, whereas before he had walked in fellowship with God in the garden. Now, you might think of this as a computer crash, or a uh, you know, there's there's a, a serious spiritual short circuiting going on. You, like, have you ever blown up an electronic device? You know. Right, I mean that, that that's kind of like what happened here, and it's and it just fried itself. Yeah. There's physical death where God says, "From dust you have come," and He says, "To dust you will return." Right? There's this progressive conquering of of your metabolic processes in your body. They're just slowly going back to the ground. But worst of all is eternal death. Or the second death, the Revelation talks about this dreadful reality of hell where 
unbelievers live forever in the lake of fire. It's the, it's the punishment of everybody who has never put their faith in Christ. So those are the three forms of death. And we see God fulfilling all of those in Scripture. But there's a fourth lesson we can learn from this, this truth, the, the, the cause of death, is that Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar. Just think about the difference for a moment between what Satan promised and what was actually produced. May I remind you, Satan always overpromises and underdelivers. <laughs> always. Sin overpromises and underdelivers. Always. For example, what did Satan promise Adam and Eve? Or Eve in particular? He promised immortality. Oh, you will not die. <laughs> well, wait a minute. God had just said, you will surely die. What does Satan do? Oh, you will not die. Right? So where did death come from? Well, they didn't listen to God. So, he overpromised and underdelivered. He also promised, in chapter 3, verse 5, he promised them deity. You will be like God. Did they become like God? No. What he did produce was depravity. He produced depravity. Their entire being had become depraved. There, there, there was no good in them. And as usual, Satan overpromised and underdelivered because he is a liar and has been from the beginning. A second truth we can learn in regard to mankind here, because this is about mankind in this chapter, is that mankind's responsibility is like Enoch. You need to walk with God. You and I need to walk with God. Be different from the world. <laughs> there is one man mentioned here who did walk with God. And you say, well, what does that mean to walk with God? Well, it's describing something that is a, a, a personal, close communion with God. It's like walking at His side and you're and you're in, in, in fellowship with him, so you're able to commune with him. Here's a man who is kind of similar to, to Adam before he sinned. He's, he's able to walk with God and commune with him. A man who's living in obedience and fellowship with God, serving God. He is actually God's spokesman. In fact, you say, well, how do I know that? Well, did you know the New Testament talks more about Enoch than the Old Testament does? I'll give you those scriptures in a moment. And it's interesting, because of all of this, he's walking with God in obedience, and, and he's fellowshipping with God, he is, he's, he's obeying God, he's speaking for God, God takes him. And so God overrules death in his life. Now, how, do, how do we know? How, why does this happen? Well, Hebrews 11 is about the best answer I can give you. It's on the screen here. Hebrews 11, 5 says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So why did God take him? Because Enoch pleased God. He was a man of faith. He was a man of faith. He took God at his word. He believed God. He followed God. He obeyed God and served God. It's interesting. Enoch's walk, according to Genesis 5, it says he... He was, he was a great man of faith, obviously, because it says for 300 years. He, he's living in this depraved, evil, wicked society, but yet he's, he is faithful, and he, 
He was a faithful prophet of God. He thundered out God's message. You say, how do we know that? Well, Jude, verses 14 and 15, says it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, Enoch, not the other Enoch, who was a son of Cain, but this is, this is the son of Adam. Another, another, that's how we know it's, it's different. There's two Enochs mentioned. But anyway, this seventh from Adam, Enoch, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch was a prophet of God. Thundering out God's message. Preaching against the wickedness. Telling him God is coming and his judgment is coming on the wicked. Hmm. You wonder how many people actually listen. (laughs) Because we we come to Genesis chapter 6 and apparently not... Most of them didn't seem to listen. Fortunately, there are some who did. At least Noah appears to have listened. By the way, should we continue to walk with God? Or is this just something, hmm, you know, that's just for Enoch. Ah, that was just for Adam. Or is this for you as well? Well, actually, the Bible says we need to to continue to walk with God. The New Testament says so, and Places like Colossians 2, verse 6, it says, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. So walk in Him. Continue to obey. Continue to serve. Continue to commune with God. You say, well, I still don't get it. How do we practically walk with God today? Well, the idea is uh, to be open to Him in all of your purposes and your hopes. You are you listening to him? Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying you're going to hear an audible voice, by the way. But do you read his word and expect God to speak to you from his word and say, "Okay, whatever he says, I will do. Whatever he says, don't do. I won't do." When God gives me a promise, I'm going to believe it. Are you seeking his will for your life? Uh, does your idea of happiness match up with God's idea for happiness? Okay. Are you on friendly terms with God? When God points out sin in your life, do you readily confess it, forsake it, repent? These are just some practical ways we can walk with God. Now look at verse 24 of Genesis 5, that is, verse 24. It says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. We see at the age of 365 years old, while still a young man during those days, the Bible says God took him. Now, how did God do that? I've often wondered, what did, what did Enoch's family think? Hey, anybody seen Enoch? Where did he go? I don't know. I don't know what happened. It doesn't seem to be as dramatic as other people in the Bible, like Elijah, for example, I mean, how dramatic can you get? I mean, the Bible says Elijah goes up in this whirlwind riding in a chariot of fire. How cool is that? What a way to go. He goes to heaven. God takes him to heaven alive. This whirlwind in a chariot of fire. I mean, those of you who like horses, I mean, 
Doesn't get any better than that, right? What a way to go. But you, you don't get that idea, that impression from this text, do you? Uh, maybe, he's, maybe he's just beamed up. You know, like Star Trek kind of stuff. Just gone to heaven. I don't know. What we do know that what ultimately did happen, he's taken up from this earthly life. He's transported to his, his life eternal. He is exempted by God from the law of death itself and, and this law of decay. And by the way, that's the same, and it must have been encouraging for, for people coming after Enoch, that, hey, that's the way it is for all people who are faithful to God. We're going to be alive at the coming of Christ, Judgment Day. So those in like manner are not going to taste death, the Bible says. There's no corruption for them. But uh, they're going to, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, they're going to be changed in a moment, in, the, in that twinkling of an eye as, as light reflects off your eye, how quick that is, the speed of light. You're going to be changed that quick. You're not going to taste death anymore. So why did God take Enoch? Well, Enoch was translated up to the eternal life with God. He's spared disease, death, and suffering, and corruption for the comfort and the encouragement of believers. It gives hope of life after death, because we've, we've just seen a whole list of, of death here, haven't we? He died, he died, he died. And so God took Enoch about halfway between Adam and the flood, the worldwide flood, is coming. And some of the patriarchs in this genealogy here were alive at the time when God took Enoch. And as a result, they had entire centuries, hundreds of years, they could reflect upon Enoch's disappearance. And I can imagine they were encouraged uh, to what was awaiting them if they were faithful to follow God as Enoch did. But we also see, number four, that mankind's hope is for relief from the curse. We all want relief from the curse. Well, my friends, i got good news for you. There is relief from the curse. The, the next very significant departure from the pattern of the genealogy comes here at the end of the list uh, with the birth of Noah. Did you notice Noah is different from the others? The text includes the words of Lamech at the naming of Noah. Notice it says, it's expressing this hope for relief from the curse. It says, he called his name Noah, saying, This one, this Noah, shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Remember the curse in Genesis 3? God says, the ground's going to be cursed. Your toil is cursed. It will now be very, very hard work, and the ground's going to fight against you. There's going to be thorns and thistles attacking you as you try to do your work. And so this expression's based on a wordplay in the Hebrew. It's interesting. Noah sounds like the Hebrew word for rest. It sounds like the Hebrew word for rest. So as anybody heard Noah's name, they would immediately think rest. Well, that's what they should be thinking. But life under the curse was very painful for these early bearers of the curse. And so Lamech 
hope for relief and comfort through this man Noah. Had a whole line of depression going on here, haven't we? But human life under the curse was also painful to God himself. And so God used Noah as a part of his plan here. He is going to use Noah to relieve the world of the pain. But it's interesting, it's not going to happen in the way that Lamech thought. God's going to use Noah in great ways. We'll read about those in the coming chapters. So here then was this second bright prospect in a very otherwise depressing existence. Uh, First Enoch walked with God. He escaped the curse of death. And now we have Noah's life is bringing this prospect of comfort despite the fact that the curse still exists. One of the things we see is the chapter stressing that death invaded the human family. It invaded the human race. But this theme provides a backdrop here for the primary interest of the narrative. That uh, You say, well, what is that? Well, may I remind you, whenever you see God's judgment, look for His grace. When you see God's judgment, look for His grace. And we, we see His grace yet again, even in this somewhat depressing chapter. We, we see life, we see fertility, we see... Uh, Enoch being translated to God into heaven. We see the prospect of rest and comfort for humanity. I want you to see how the genealogy ends here in verse 32. It's it's different from the others because it says Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. What's different about that verse from, from everything else we've read about the patriarchs here? Well, the form of Noah's entry here in this genealogy is is very exceptional. Uh, For example, one son is singled out among the descendants of the the previous names. But uh, notice it's, you know, Adam beget Seth, for example. That's, That's the pattern you see in those previous patriarchs. But with Noah, it's different. We have three sons listed. In addition to that, Noah's not recorded here as having any daughters. Did you hear that over and over? It says, and he had other sons and daughters, but it doesn't say that about Noah. So that's different. The usual ending of the genealogy is also admitted here in the case of Noah. Because, uh, well, for example, I mean, how, how long did he live? Uh, what's the record of his death? Well, it doesn't say in this genealogy, does it? And So that makes it very exceptional. And so these are events that haven't yet occurred, of course, in the narrative, and so any reader of this text is left in great anticipation of of what is to come. Israel had to learn this. Of course, this was written to Israel. Israel was able to hear these words and hopefully learn something from this. Hopefully they learned to cope with the death and the pain in their own lives as they read these words, heard them. But you know what? You and I have to learn this too. We, we, we need to learn to anticipate victory over the curse as we walk with God. They could learn this lesson. Israel could learn this lesson from reading Genesis chapter 5. But we can learn just as the Hebrews learned. And we have other portions of Scripture we can learn from. For example, Hebrews 11, verse 7. It says, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, 
in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Praise God. God used Noah to preserve the human race. He did that in a couple of ways. He did it physically, of course. But he also did it spiritually. And in a similar way, the, the church today, my friends, is to show the image of God in the world. How are you doing? Are you accurately showing the image of God? Believers today are to look for the, their translation to glory. Are you looking for your translation to glory as Enoch did? It's coming. You're going to get a new body one day. You're going to be glorified. Are you hoping for that? Are you ready for that? Are you looking? Are you waiting? Are you hoping for relief from the curse? Or are you getting a little too settled into your sin nature in this, this wicked world? I hope not. You gro- are you groaning for the day of redemption? Creation is. Creation is groaning according to Romans 8, verse 18. It says, for I consider... Look at Romans 8 here. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You may not be able to hear it, but God hears it. His creation is groaning. It is ready to be set free from the curse of sin. You and I need to anticipate victory that's coming to us. We will be set free from the curse of sin. But in the meantime, you and I must walk with God. We must obey. We must commune with God. But there's, there's a last thing we can learn from this chapter that is this, my friends, that mankind's hope is in a faithful God. God is faithful. We can see that even in the midst of this depressing chapter in so many ways. We learned in Genesis 3.15, God had promised a deliverer through the seed of the woman. And to fulfill that purpose, it was necessary then to preserve a godly remnant through the faithful testimony of, of godly parents who then pass it on to their children. And those children faithfully receive the truth so they can pass it on to their children. And Satan, throughout all the centuries, has been trying to stop God's plan. He has been trying to stop the Messiah from coming. He has been very murderous and destructive in the process, but has never succeeded, of course. And so all this was taking place while the the world's growing increasingly wicked. And we see in chapter 6, it is very, very wicked. And there's hundreds of dangers and thousands of temptations facing God's people during this time. So who is equal to the task? Who is equal to the task? Well, were any of the patriarchs equal to the task? Was Adam ready for this mission? He failed. Yes, he's an outstanding human being, but he's a sinner, just as you and I are sinners. 
Eve wasn't equal to the task. She failed. Seth wasn't equal to the task. Enoch, even Enoch, godly Enoch, wasn't equal to the task. He was not the Messiah. Only God was equal to this task, and so he wasn't, by the way, he's not only equal to the task, he was faithful to do what he had promised. When God promises, he always meets those promises. <laughs> and so it, it, you come to Luke chapter 3 in your Bible, it's interesting, you read that, don't, don't read it now, but you see Jesus' genealogy, you see where the Messiah came from, and it goes all the way back to Adam. The Hebrews love their genealogies. You can, see, you can trace the line from Adam to Jesus. And so, my friends, there is only one who is going to bring ultimate rest. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 11. He says, come to me to find rest for your weary souls. So will you rest in him this day? Will you? Are you going to chase other things that will never bring you comfort and rest? I hope not. This hope that we see here has transformed the death of many Christians throughout church history. I I loved reading the story, for example, of D.L. Moody, Dwight L. Moody. When he died, his his family members were were at his bedside there, and his son was there at one point. D.L. Moody's son was there when, when, when he died, and he was standing by his bedside, and uh, Moody's son heard him exclaim, Earth is receding, heaven is opening, God is calling. And Moody's son said, "Uh, Father, you're dreaming, you're dreaming. Moody answered, No, this is no dream. I have been within the gates. I have seen the children's faces. He said, Is this death? That is not bad. There is no valley. This is bliss. This is glorious. And by this time, his daughter had also come to Dwight Moody's bedside, and she was present, and she began to pray for her father's recovery. And Dwight Moody says, No, no, Emma, don't pray for that. God is calling me. This is my coronation day. I have been looking forward to it. And shortly after this, Dwight Moody was received into heaven. You know, you know, that's encouraging. We currently live under the curse. But the Messiah has defeated death, defeated the curse, and and so all of God's children can anticipate great victory. And so one day all of God's children are going to be rid of the curse. You will be glorified, given a new body. Until then, let's live victoriously, longing for the Messiah to appear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can anticipate victory. Uh, We've seen the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. We know there is glorification to come. Death has been conquered. Satan has been crushed. And his works have been defeated. May we not listen to Satan's lies. May we not be pressed into the world's mold. But may our minds be transformed. May we think the way you want us to think. And uh, may we think in a way that's pleasing to you, biblically. May we be encouraged by truths that we've seen from Genesis chapter 5. Open our eyes to see glorious things even in in a long list of death. We praise you that you are a God of grace. You are a 
faithful God. You are a sovereign God. You are a good God and a great God, and you're always those things. You do not change. And so may we meditate upon these glorious truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.